Hey everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard and man does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz and I am your fine host for these podcasts. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, hey, it's been a while since I've posted a podcast. I think it's been about a month. I usually do that during the summer. Uh, I'm busy playing in my lake, being with grandchildren, traveling some, but now life is back back to normal again, and I know you as my listeners are back to a routine as well. Uh, I think you're going to love this podcast. Uh, Some of you might more than others. Uh, You might be uh, provoked into thinking rather seriously about this issue. We're going to be talking today about civil disobedience. Uh, You know, during COVID, there was a lot of discussion about what the reaction of the church should be, in some cases resistance from the church, some cases uh, uh, compliance, and it's it's a topic that perhaps we had not prepared ourselves for in the decades prior, uh, but I think you would all agree it's necessary, particularly as we see the pressure against the church being unlike anything we've seen before, pressure against Christians, Christian institutions. I, I think we need to have a good biblical understanding of uh, how to respond, in some cases even how to resist. And I can't think of anybody more qualified to do this than Pastor Dan, Dan Sams. He has been on my podcast, I think, two or three times before to talk about different issues, but he's got a real burden for for this issue. Uh, he has written about it, and today he wants to talk to me about it. Uh, Dan is a house church uh, pastor. He's uh, planting or had planted a number of churches, and he trains shepherds for Restoration House Church Network. Uh, He teaches theology at Liberty University and for the Underground Seminary. Uh, He loves his wife, Christy. They have three kids, a few chickens, an awesome dog named Sam. Uh, So a lot more great stuff about Dan. But I think what you're going to hear today is his heart for Jesus, his heart for the gospel, his heart for the church. And uh, this is a a conversation that we both were, were challenged by mutually. So let's jump into that now. All right, so we have for our Before You Quit podcast today, Dan Sams. Dan has been on a number of these podcasts. Uh, Dan, what, two, three maybe? Two or three, yeah. Yeah, so this one is going to be a lot different than I think any of the other ones that we've been talking about. We're going to talk about the church and civil disobedience. And uh, just remind us real quick where you are and, and what you do. Uh, so I live in Northeast Ohio, um, and I do several things. Primarily, I'm a pastor. I help lead a, a group of house churches. Um, and then I also teach theology for Liberty University Online, and I teach mm-hmm. uh, a couple of other things for an online classical Christian school. I do a couple of other things to help pay the bills, but lots of teaching and pastoring. That's my mm-hmm. job. And you're a husband and a dad. Husband and a dad. My favorite gigs. <laughs> I bet it is. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you actually were on a podcast a couple podcasts ago where we talked about church and music, and uh, that yeah. was uh, well-received, and I got some just really good comments about that, more so because of my yeah. part in the podcast and uh, less than <laughs> – right. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So uh, the church and civil disobedience, why, why are we doing this podcast? What is the, the burden that you bring that led us to, to talk about this? Well, I've noticed that there's been a misunderstanding in a lot of a lot of evangelical churches, especially that their reading of Romans 13 seems to place the authority of the civil magistrate over that of the church uh, and often even over that of God's law. Um, and that's a problem. 
uh, it reflects a poor understanding of, of even what Romans 13 says. Uh, but what we're seeing then is people seem to be ready and willing to even affirm and engage in what God calls sin. Uh, and in order to simply just say, well, I'm obeying the, the civil authority. And mm-hmm. we've seen where that goes. We've seen. Now, and, Ray, and sorry to interrupt you, but remind yeah. us real quick what Romans 13 talks about uh, for someone that might not yeah. be immediately. Yeah, Romans 13 is, is the classic passage we refer to related to civil authority. Uh, that where it says that the powers of be are, that are ordained of God. Uh, we're not to resist uh, the power that God has established. Uh, but it also says there that those powers, those authorities are God's servants to be a terror to what is evil and a blessing to what is good. And uh, one of the things I bring up is we need to consider what we're to do when those governing authorities become a terror to what is good and mm. a blessing to what is evil. And I would say at the very least, they're no longer reflecting, um, they're no longer serving as God's servants. And so we need to figure out how we respond. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that sets kind of the baseline there. Uh, I'm going to ask you to define the something. You wrote a paper about this, which was extremely helpful for me uh, in, in getting some good framework here. But use the phrase, the lesser magistrate doctrine. So before we get into the to weeds and all this, what, what are you what are you describing there? Yeah, the, the doctrine of lesser magistrate, the, that phrasing shows up first in the Magdeburg Confession of 1550, uh, which was written. I by thought that's where of- I heard it from. <laughs> Just <kidding>. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It was written by a group of pastors in Magdeburg, Germany, uh, in response to the Augsburg interim, in which the Roman Catholic papacy was essentially trying to force uh, false belief, false practices of the church uh, on on those newly Protestant churches there. And uh, it, what was interesting is they, they do a great job explaining the biblical examples that showed up ahead of time. Uh, but then they say, hey, notice, our, what we're doing here is we're appealing to the authorities directly over us, asking them to interpose on our behalf against uh, Charles V and the Pope, who are seeking to punish us for doing good. And mm. so the lesser magistrate would be the the authority that is below the tyrant. And you're appealing to that lesser authority in ah. order to defend you against the higher authority. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Uh, it, you wrote, and and this is, I, I think, going to help us to understand why this is, uh, for our, our Western context, it, the, the things we're facing today that is putting this conversation more in the forefront uh, is, is the fact that we've had it pretty good for quite some time. Uh, but you write this, having experienced unprecedented freedom of worship over the last two centuries, many Christians in the West have had little interest in the doctrines of resistance until recently. Uh, so in your view, what is happening that is changing this, this reality? Um, well, some of it I will say, we, we've had an erosion of righteousness for a long time, um, mm-hmm. but we're starting to notice it. I think COVID is the easy one to say, kind of threw it in everybody's faces. Um, when uh, we actually had a Supreme Court decision that allowed for casinos in Arizona to be open and yet kept a church from being open. And I think we saw the, I mean, the, the tyranny right in front of us where they were, I mean, they're happy to allow debauchery, but they would not allow the church to worship. And with it came, uh, I mean, in Kentucky, there was a 
a situation where people were meeting in their cars in a parking lot, listening to church on the radio, and a and a and a police officer went car to car writing five hundred dollar tickets. I think it was five hundred dollar, uh, which ironically was more likely to spread the virus than them sitting in their cars. <laughs> uh, we were right. Um, I think that's and so. I think COVID is the one that kind of threw it in our faces. We had uh, pastors like Tim Stevens getting arrested in Canada. Um, people in first world churches were being persecuted for meeting. Um, but I think it goes beyond that. I think the Obergefell decision uh, puts us in a situation where um, we're, we're being forced to affirm something that God calls an abomination. So you have like the, uh, what is it, Masterpiece Cakes and uh, mm-hmm. the cake baker that is being forced to say certain things. And so he's in a position he has to resist in order to obey God. I think even things related to compelled speech, related to pronouns, um, where we're we're being asked to deny something that is not true and affirm something that's an abomination. And uh, so all of these things now we're realizing that we are facing, in in some cases, criminal charges uh, or or other civil action against us. And we, we need lesser magistrates to defend us while we resist what is evil. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's, I think that's what's, Throwing it into our faces right now. Yeah. So in your view, has it happened rather quickly or as you've been studying this, can you see when, when was the setup? When, when was the first kind of a hinge moment where our culture started changing, where it would, it would take only one event maybe uh, for the enemy in this case to get a foothold and, and exploit our, our ease and our comfort uh, where I, th- I think Christians especially have been thrown off and did not know how to react. Yeah, I, I would say it's one of those things that it's been happening for a very long time and there's been catalytic moments. Uh, I think we can, I mean, for crying out loud, we could actually go back to the Enlightenment and say, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's that's probably when the mess really got kicked off. Um, but, uh, I mean, we, you could always phrase it back to something. But I would say that uh, I would say that COVID has been that catalytic moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have seen uh, so many things suddenly taken away and by by mandate and executive order, right? The other thing we've noticed, we have a system in our government that protects us. You know, there, Congress has to make a law, Senate has, you know, there has to be some Senate process that's affirming. There's an executive branch, there's a judicial branch. But guess what? When a non-elected official like Anthony Fauci just creates a mandate that doesn't go through our normal checks or similar. It's like when the ATF decides like, Oh yeah, this pistol brace is going to be illegal now. Um, or any other federal agency can just make them declare something illegal and it's not going through the normal process. And so that's right. That's creating some problems. So, and I would say that's been going on a long time, but we've just seen it ramped up. It's like it's on steroids since uh since covid everything from executive orders to mandates and um i would say that's that's where we're seeing it move fast yeah and there's a lull right now although you're you're still seeing ongoing efforts to target christians i know in europe and england a a number of cases where a person is simply standing at a street corner with his head obviously bowed praying in front of an abortion clinic and and he's arrested for that. And yeah. I, I think we're going to find those sort of things happening more. 
And uh, so it's it's going to be, I think, really fascinating. And hopefully this this podcast can uh, help spark an interest in this, that we, we need to be teaching this. We need to be preparing ourselves for this because it is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and COVID did reveal, I think, the two camps where the churches that had you know a clear position, particularly as it started to become evident what was really happening. You know, like like John MacArthur's church initially, like yeah, we need to obey government here. But you know, three weeks in is like, hey, wait a minute, we see what's really going on here. Uh, so so yeah, we we need and hopefully as we get into this more, we'll have a, a solid biblical reason for what civil disobedience means. How is it different from being rebellious? Because I think sometimes Christians feel like we're we're to be loving, compassionate, and rebellion has this sort of tone of being uh, aggressive, uh, you know, beating down people. But the resistance is different than that, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I use the language. I like to, to draw a distinction between a reformation and a revolution. Um, a reformation seeks to appeal to God's law, right? And that's what it comes down to is I want to be obedient to God at all costs. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we see an example of this. So that that's not rebellion, right? If someone mm-hmm. is rebelling against God, or in some cases rebelling even against the law and the land, um, my attempt to obey constitutional law uh, or and my attempt to obey biblical law is not a rebellion. Right. Yeah. Those who are going against that are the ones that are in rebellion. And a great picture of this is to contrast between the American War for Independence and the French Revolution. Uh, the, the American War for Independence, we were continually appe- appealing both to biblical law uh, and to the law of England. People don't realize this. We were actually saying we have an agreement as the colonies uh, that we were appealing to law. And it was Parliament that was violating the law. And then, of course, King George III wouldn't stop them from doing that. Mm-hmm. And so we're in a position where we're like, we're not breaking the law. You are. Um, mm. And so it became necessary <laughs> to disobey those who were going against the law in order to be lawful. Uh, whereas the French Revolution took a different approach. The French Revolution said, hey, you have more than me. And they had a point. Um, we're mad at you. We're going to rebel. Well, a revolution involves a turning over, mm-hmm. right? Revolution means like flipping it over. And so rather than appeal to law, the French Revolution was lawlessness. And they're, they're just saying, we're mad. We don't like this. And they had some things that they were right to be mad about. Mm-hmm. But rather than try to reform, uh, they actually, this is, people don't realize this, they established the cult of reason. Like they rejected Christian vestments, cleared out the Temple of Notre Dame, and actually set up idols to mm. reason. Um, people don't realize like that was... Uh, the French Revolution was decidedly atheistic. They yeah. know, directly mm. persecuted Christian priests in the process. So, yeah. yeah, I would say what we're doing is when we're when we're appealing to God's law, and in some cases to the law of the land as it matches, we're actually reforming. And so, for instance, when you defy a mask mandate, right, the mandate's not a law. It's not mm-hmm. been, it's not gone through a lawful process. And when you say, "Hey, I, I don't have to obey that," no, be wise. But you're mm-hmm. actually probably the one when you're defying the mask mandate. You're actually no, no, no. I'm going. I'm going with the law here. You've established mm-hmm. a ruling outside of outside of lawfulness, and that's not okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That's, yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about COVID because I I think we need to have the conversation uh, as we uh, kind of do a debrief on how the church did. 
Um, so you cite six reasons for resistance, and I'll I'll go through each one. And if you want to give maybe just a quick explanation of it, the first one sure. is when innocent life is at stake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say this it goes very simple. That like there is a ruling in which the the civil magistrate bears the sword only to be a terror to evil. And mm-hmm. if they're bearing the sword against the innocent, we are commanded to rescue those being led away to the slaughter. And um, yeah, so I would say that's that's simple. Yeah, abor- abortion, six- abortion would obviously be a, a case, an example, agree, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And by the way, these are outlined in great detail in Philip Kaiser's book, Divine Right of Resistance. So right, um, these I'm aren't not, original not, to you, yeah. right? I'm not yeah. taking credit for those. This is Philip uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. And, and I, I remember scripture on it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay. Secondly, when the means of protecting or sustaining life is at stake. Yeah, and this is one where some will debate, but I do think it's biblical. Um, you know, if if someone wants to steal my shoes, well, that stinks, right? But I'm not going to necessarily fight them on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that might, it's not worth them dying over my shoes. Uh, but if the government wants to take away a farmer's land that he is, that allows him to produce food for his family and others, that is, that is tantamount to taking away his life. And mm-hmm. he has a, mm-hmm. a duty to protect the means that he uses to provide for his family. Um, I should protect my home because that's where I care for and shelter my family. And I, I have a, I have a duty to protect that. And so I would say that there's room for resistance there. And I would say there's details and there's caveats. If we look at the law mm-hmm. of God, you know, if someone breaks into my house during the day, I'm assuming they're a thief. It's not mm-hmm. good, but I don't kill them, right? I run them off. If they break in during the night, I have to assume that they're there to cause harm. And so if I kill them, I'm not held responsible uh, for murder, right? And so there are there are details here, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. From me, it's another thing for you to take away the land that I use to feed my family. Now we're in a different. So there, there's there's some there there's some uh, some judgment calls in there, but I would argue for sure that Tom. Yeah, because even that. even the issue of a farmer protecting himself or or resisting, you know, someone might be hearing that he could defend himself with. Uh, with a gun in that case. So yeah. how, you know, well, how do you wrestle with that? I'm thinking more of the resistance part of it doesn't necessarily use mean lethal force. Right. Yeah. I don't simply just say, Oh, you take away my land. Like I'm going to go to every civil means necessary. Uh, I'm not necessarily opposed to using physical force if necessary, but let's mm-hmm. face facts. Like I'm, I'm not going to be as effective at that. Right. Um, and that might not be necessary, but like, I shouldn't just say, well, the government says that this is theirs. Now. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 this is right. my property. You're not allowed to take my property. And um, yeah, which is why eminent domain is, is an abomination. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Okay. The next one is when the state oversteps the family's jurisdiction. What, what are you saying mm-hmm. there? Uh, so, we of course this gets into the whole issue of spheres of of governance but god has established men as the heads of their household um parents lead their children provide protect care for uh their children so uh the the civil authorities don't really get to decide what i'm going to do in teaching my children right Mm -hmm. they don't get to decide uh 
how my children are going to be raised. And this is now, this is a big issue now because you're we're hearing a lot of conversation about the school saying, no, it, it's our responsibility to teach your kids, not yours. And uh, and and this is where the pushback is is necessary. And fortunately, we are seeing, you know, like Virginia, the governor, there is, you know, has even established a law that the parents are the ones who have the first right and main responsibility. Absolutely right, brother. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one right now. Well, what about when um, the state oversteps the church's jurisdiction? Oh, yeah. That's the one that I think has been it was in our face during COVID. Uh, Mm -hmm. But again, you know, God, God did not establish uh, the governor to be head over the church. Right. Christ is head over the church and he has established his under shepherds, elders, uh, to govern the church at the human level. Um, there is no sense in which our governor, Mike DeWine, is is in authority over the church. Now, I mean, in civil matters, he absolutely is, right? Like, if somebody commits a murder in the church, we're going to call mm-hmm. yeah. the civil magistrates, right? But in terms of the care for the, the sheep, the teaching the word of God, the practice of worship, Christ has outlined those things, and he has designated his under-shepherds to uh, to make sure that those things are fulfilled biblically. And um, yeah, I, I don't listen if Mike DeWine, no, he didn't do this. I don't want to pick on him too mm-hmm. much. But um, what was it in Moscow, Idaho, I believe, they established a law that you were not a law, but they established a mandate during COVID that you weren't supposed to sing. Um, and well, singing is commanded in, in mm-hmm. scripture, right? We mm-hmm. are commanded to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So interesting, they, the, Christchurch actually organized a an, an outdoor sing where they sang hymns in protest, and mm-hmm. uh, some of them were arrested, um, yeah. but then later acquitted, which is really yeah, interesting. Yeah. It turns out, like, hey, guess what? And this is where this is where the whole issue of resistance is important. Uh, tyranny was happening there. The church rebelled against tyranny. If we can even use the word rebellion, they resisted tyranny, right? And sang songs of worship to God in obedience to God. They were persecuted for it. And then the law vindicated them. And that allowed a lot more churches and a lot more people to be protected. Sometimes yeah. you, you're standing up against some tyranny actually isn't just protecting you, protecting others in the process. Yeah. And I, I, I want to be, I'm a little hesitant bringing this up, but the, the denomination that you and I were, were both part of, I still am. You were, um, you know, we, we were at, we were at, it was, it was not just suggested, but we were told to abide by what the local government was telling us. And uh, I know one church, they did not meet for eight months because there was such fear that church ended up closing. And it was actually a church that I helped plant and um, but the churches that said, no, we're not going to do that. We're under a lot of pressure because of the you know, leadership over them. So sometimes it's it's going against even the yeah. Christian leaders over us. And, and that's when it can well, become even you know, much more contentious because we're we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're uh, seemingly rebelling against our our godly authorities. Yeah, this is where because we ran into similar things where they were telling us not to meet. Not, I mean, it was in some cases like in Ohio, uh, we were like my, to Mike Dwan's credit, we we weren't ever stopped from meeting. Like churches mm-hmm. had some exemption, and praise the Lord for it. Um, 
but uh but yeah we were i mean our district superintendent was telling us just not to meet and i'm like yeah yeah brother we're commanded i think it was one day when we took a few weeks right i recognize like okay if something's we'll give we'll give you a few weeks to what's going on but after a little while i'm like we're commanded to meet together we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together and um man, I, at some point I'm like, I have to obey God rather than men. Mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. like, you know, Matt, you know, Acts 5, 29, where the apostles defied the high priest and preached the gospel, right? They, they disobeyed. And this is interesting. They disobeyed the, you could call it the church authority, although it wasn't a church authority, but they disobeyed the religious authority, which by the way, was in cahoots with the Roman government and could throw them into jail or have them killed. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, um, they were in in that instance defying both the religious authority and the civil authority, and I love their language. Like we must obey God yeah. than men. Like this is we do what you want with this, but this is what yeah. we got to do. Well, you know my my reflection over COVID. I'd be interested to see if you felt the same as as it was happening. But I I, I picked up rather early that this was, you know, I mean, we, we know our battles are not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and that these, these things have origins in the, in the spiritual realm. And, uh, that this whole thing was about targeting the church. It was almost like a test run. Let's see how well the church bends to our demands here. And, um, and some passed, some disappointed us, I feel, um, but in your thinking, what what has that, you know, if you're the, I was going to say if you're the devil. <laughs> yeah, I won't say that. Uh, but you can imagine, you know, uh, someone with an evil mind, uh, if it's the devil or or people over us that, are, that are, have evil intent. It's like, uh, hey, now we know where their weakness is. So the next thing, it'll be a lot easier to come in and and. Uh, you know, yeah. and I don't I don't know what an example would be of that, but to, uh, you know, to 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 know that we're very pliable and, and not resisting, we're easily susceptible to what's being asked of us. So how were you reflecting over that uh, during COVID? Yeah, that, that was a concern. I still have that concern that it I mean, I remember when they first said two weeks to flatten the curve and everybody mm-hmm. knew we were like, man, it ain't going to be two weeks. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's not going to be two weeks. And people were like, you're a dangerous conspiracy theorist to say that this is going to be more than two weeks. Why aren't you trusting what our government is saying? And I'm like, well, I can tell you the science. a lot of trust reasons the science. Why, I why I don't trust their government. Or and, um, and so, yeah. So then when we were proven right, you would think that people have been like, oh, man, you're right. No. Um, so, yeah, I would say big concern there on the fact that so many churches had not developed their doctrine of resistance. Yeah. And I would actually yeah. say I think MacArthur's church is a great example um, I mean, I have a friend who actually preached a sermon against John MacArthur early on because John MacArthur was saying, we just have to do what the government tells us to do. Yeah. Right. And praise God, he came around. I'm really thankful. But, you know, this is arguably MacArthur. I have respect for MacArthur. MacArthur is arguably one of the better known, biblically grounded evangelical pastors, right? He's, he's one of the solid mm-hmm. ones, and yet he hadn't thought this through. Yeah. At least yeah. not fully. Interesting. Um, and so I think there's guys like him that I think it calls people to think it through, and and, and we we came out better. I think mm-hmm. others just bended, and and either the church ceased to exist, um, or are in some cases worse. <clears throat> in some cases, they the worse is that they just became so liberal theologically and otherwise that they're 
they're puppets of the state almost. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. But, and, um, and I, as I'm, as I'm reflecting on this, I, I think there's a correlation between, uh, you know, poor gospel preaching and the ease in which we, we go with what the government tells us to do. I think, I think pastors that are committed to the gospel, to preaching the whole scriptures uh, are more likely to say, Hey, wait a minute. Uh, you know, we, we are committed to the gospel here. We're committed to righteousness. Uh, we have a, we have something to measure uh, against this with what's being told of us. And uh, so I, you know, during COVID there were, some pastors like MacArthur who said, we, I need to preach on this now. Um, what would you say to pastors who did not, and maybe now need to prepare their congregations for this? Where, where should they go? And this, this leads to the question of, uh, you know, looking at the roots of, of lesser magistrates in scripture, old Testament and new Testament. Uh, so, so kind of give us an overview of what the biblical basis for civil disobedience or resistance is. Uh, yeah, a few places I would go. Um, and the fact is, there's a lot. Uh, so I, I, if you want a, a more detailed list, I would definitely recommend the book, The Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates by Matthew Trujillo, uh, or Divine Right of Resistance by Philip Kaiser, uh, or get a copy of the Magdeburg Confession. Um, but there's several passages of scripture I would cite. Um, Exodus 1 is a good one for the Hebrew midwives uh, interpose against pharaoh's uh, mandate to kill the male children and they just refuse um and then they mm. lie about it right they lie they're like mm. oh yeah we get there and the and god calls it an act of faith this is what people need to realize they mm -hmm. lied to a tyrant and god said it was faith keep that in mind rahab does a similar thing right um there is an mm -hmm. instance in scripture where lying to tyranny is considered a godly act so exodus one would be a good one daniel one gives us a really good one because here Daniel is in Babylonian captivity. He's been ordered to eat certain things that he believes will defile him. And he doesn't just rebel, right? He begins by going to the person in direct authority over him and saying, hey, can we work something out? Right. And so he, he doesn't start with a fight, right? He appeals to his lesser magistrate. It's one of the clearest mm. instances of it. He appeals and tries to work something out. Uh, much like what we see uh, the founding fathers of the United States doing. like They appealed for a long time mm -hmm. and then served as lesser magistrates themselves. But Daniel 1 is a great example. Daniel 3 is a good example. Uh, people forget that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in positions of authority. So when they refused to bow to the statue, first of all, it's making a statement, but also, I mean, they're protecting the people underneath them. And so when the ruling was eventually changed, which wouldn't have happened had they not resisted um what everybody underneath them gets protected right mm, so that's mm. that's another thing we need to remember like that's that itself is an interposition and i think people tend to think oh when you stand up for your rights you're being selfish well that's not the case part of what's happening when you stand up for what for your rights your biblically god-given rights uh first of all you're rendering to god what is god uh what is god's and and you are standing up to in a way that protects other people's freedom and i think that's a mm -hmm. really important one uh, Daniel 6 is similar in that. Jeremiah 38 is a good one where Ibed Melech, uh, you know, interposes to, <laughs> to protect Jeremiah. Yeah. Um, we could also say when the wise men disobey Herod, we're seeing kind of an, an example. Mm. It's anytime we have someone interposing for someone else. And sometimes it's very clearly 
here's the echelon of authority, here's the hierarchy, and this guy's interposing against the guy higher than him. But sometimes it's kind of like the, you know, the wise men, they're interposing. Theoretically, they're in, in that land. They should be subject to Herod. Uh, they're interposing in, in a, effectively a civilian capacity to mm. protect uh, the Christ child. So there's a whole lot of other ones. Oh, man, the list is a long one. What, how um, would you respond I, to someone who says the Christ did not resist the you know, scorned the shame, allowed himself to be beat. Peter took out a sword and Jesus has put it away. You know, it's not what I'm here for. We're to follow his example. So how do you, how do you counter that with everything we've been saying? Oh, I would say, you know, we are to follow Christ's example, but not in everything. Like I don't redeem people for their sins, right? So Christ is my example, but I don't, I'm not going to be the vicar of, for Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that, um, I don't walk on water. I don't calm the storms. There are certain things that were for Christ to do as our Redeemer, as God in the flesh. Um, and so I would say, certainly, um, he had a very unique situation, um, and I would say he did the right thing. Now, I think there are times where I'm supposed to be submissive and things like that, but I think Jesus is fulfilling a very distinct and unique thing there. Um, yeah. My earpiece just went out, so I hope. Can you still hear me? I hear you just fine, man. Okay, I think it's coming out of my straight out of the iPad here. I'll edit that out. It's gonna be a definite change in quality. (laughs) Okay, well let's uh, yeah let let's go ahead and and tie this all together. Um, As you as we've been talking about this, what would be some of the your final thoughts? How, How does this take us to the gospel? How does this uh, t- how is this about righteousness? How, why are we doing this? It's not just protecting ourselves. There's something about the glory of God here. There's something about our our first allegiance to the gospel. Uh, mm-hmm. So as we wrap this up, reflect on that. Yeah, I, I would go right to Acts 5.29, where the apostles say we must obey God rather than men. Mm. Uh, either we believe in Matthew 28, 18, when Jesus says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him, either we believe that or we don't. Either we believe that God is the ultimate authority and thus must be obeyed or we don't. And what so many have done is practically put the state over God in authority. Mm-hmm. And that's just wrong. And so certainly I want to obey this. I want to obey the state. I want to obey civil magistrates in every way that I can without compromising my role as a as an elder or as a, a father and without disobeying God. And the way that that comes back to the gospel is that like we're affirming the kingship of Christ when we obey him, right? We're affirming his righteousness. And um, that's key because Jesus is king right now. And so I would say that's that's the key thing. But also we see many times because, I mean, the entire first century, uh, the, the faithful were resisting. I mean, you know, they would refuse to drop a pinch of incense to Caesar and say mm-hmm. that Caesar is Lord, right? They would not even give lip service to Caesar. And that ultimately became the reason why Christians were persecuted throughout Rome. It was one thing when it was just the, the Jewish leaders were persecuting. But once once they realized, like, once Rome realized, wait a minute, you're not acknowledging Caesar is Lord? It's like, no, 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 because Jesus mm-hmm. is Lord. It all comes back to the kingship of Christ. And that's Romans 10. I mean, I have to believe in his atoning death and resurrection, and I have to declare him Lord. Mm-hmm. And if I'm denying his lordship by allowing the state to rule where only Christ rules, um, 
I got real questions as to whether or not you are a Christian at all. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about that the other day when I was preparing for this, that, uh, the, the deeper your love is for the gospel, the more you understand the gospel, the more you understand the character of God. Uh, you, you are you are so passionately in love with all that that uh, your default will be to resist based on your love for the gospel. And then this is a call to pastors to uh, stop being fluffy with, with the gospel, yeah. stop being topical, stop trying to just address the moral issues and being therapeutic in, in your preaching. Uh, preach Christ, preach the gospel, preach exposition, expositionally, uh, which means verse by verse. And, and you'll find the effect of that will be a congregation that is deeply in love with the gospel. And, uh, and I think you'll find those people that will do what they do in everything, whether it's in the small things in life or the large things like resistance for the glory of God. And so maybe that can be one of the the final uh, takeaways here. Amen, brother. Amen. And I would encourage at a very practical level, if you are in a church that is compromising on these things, mm-hmm. don't waste any more time. Yeah. Just get yeah. the heck out of there. There are faithful churches. And I mean, mine's one of them. Uh, I, I have to work multiple jobs and shepherd the sheep. And mm. I know plenty of other pastors in the same boat. They're faithfully teaching. And then meanwhile, people are at these other churches that are not teaching the doc- the gospel, and yet they're giving their tithe there, and then they're just frustrated mm-hmm. because like, this yeah. pastor won't stand for anything. Stop wasting your time. It's yeah. not even a faithful church. So don't waste your time. Don't waste your tithe. Go and, and, and reorganize or under where they're faithful. And I recognize mm-hmm. faithful churches are harder to find. But Yeah. Yeah. Good final thought. Hey, I always like to end by asking my guest if roles were reversed and you had a chance to ask me a question about this or anything else what question would it be yeah brother my my question would be is you've been in ministry even longer than i have and um i i would be interested what is your read on what uh what the church is going to look like on this topic in the next five years are we going to have more Mm. standing firm or we're going to have more falling away uh in the next Maybe well, uh, yes, to both. There, I believe there will be. I think there, this is a real test for us. And um, I, I I believe that the I mean, you're seeing what's happening in culture right now, you know, politically. And um, I, I listened to a talk show today where there's even, you know, hey, are we heading towards civil war? Uh, you know, t- well, actually, Tucker Carlson asked Trump that last night. He was having an interview while the. Uh, Republicans were having their their debate. Um, and incidentally, there were 10 times more people watching Trump and Tucker than <laughs> the debates, which was interesting. Uh, but, the, you know, Tucker asked uh, President Trump, are, will there be a civil war? You know, and, and you know, he didn't really give a, an answer to that. But uh, I, I think as Christians, we, we are in a war that we've never seen before. Uh, I pastored in England for seven years back in the 90s. And it was tough. I mean, I would speak at a school assembly, walk out, and kids would call me a Bible basher and, uh, you know, insult me as I was walking out. And I, 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 it, it saddened me, but there was some level of like, hey, this is because I love Jesus. And I, I actually shared the gospel with them in, in the assembly. Um, it's gotten a lot worse in Europe. Uh, I mean, far worse than it was back in the 90s. And uh, I think if you want to know, we've often said this kind of easily that if you want to know 
what we're going to be like in 10 years, look at England. I'd say look at Canada. Uh, I've That's been my argument with what's happening within the church, with LGBT issues. Uh, even our denomination had some, you know, churches that were being LGBT friendly in Canada. And my argument has been, hey, this is going to happen here. So, yeah, accommodating sin, soft resistance, no resistance to the gospel. I think it's going to bring about a remnant of uh, of true believers and uh, where it goes. You know, I'm hoping I'm preaching this Sunday on the return of Christ. And that that is uh, that I call that the the core of the gospel. That it's all, it's all about that day when Christ comes home and vanquishes the enemy once for all. And we are taken to be with him forever. Right on, brother. So that's my Praise that's God. my answer, and I'm sticking to it. Well, thank you, Dan. Yeah, this is nice. this has been this has been good. This has been different than our other interviews. And yeah, uh, you this did, is good, uh, though, brother. Did a, yeah, love it, love it. I'll be interested to see what uh, the reaction is going to be. So, stuff, all right. Well, you have a good day. I know you've been busy, so hope you can have a you break. Too, man. I all should right, take, take care, care my see friend. <laughs> Bye. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments that you want to make about what we've talked today or about other episodes, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.